0: Ellen on politics. Each time a man stands up for an ideal, or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. you heard were those of Robert Kennedy and Jesse Jackson. The music again was that of Canned Heat singing Let's Work Together and this is Allen on Politics. If you were to ask me my opinion on what's likely to happen in the world and in our society over the course of the near future, I could paint you a pretty grim picture. What I'd be likely to say is What's gonna happen is uh, climate change is irreversible, so it's just gonna get worse. That capitalism has been becoming more and more predatory, and that is its nature. It will go on that way. That pandemic is not uh, under control yet, and it could still produce new variants. Our political system seems incapable of handling any of these things. Our society is very divided and we have people promoting political candidates, politicians, who seem like they'd be happy to gain power and do away with whatever elements of democracy we have in our political system. I say those things are likely to go on and many of them are likely to get worse and there could be a lot of suffering. There'll be climate refugees, there'll be further divisiveness, there could be political catastrophe. I would say those are reasonable concerns. Now you may say or ask me well, why do you make these videos? What keeps you going? Uh, Why talk about politics and why talk about what we can do and uh, generate some kind of vision of where we were trying, where we're trying to take things. Why do these things if it looks so grim to you? And I would say I do it out of hope. Where does that hope come from? Here's my experience. Is that hope is not based on reason, nor is it based on how you feel about things. It is based On practice which leads to habit. The most important factor in human behavior in my opinion, in most cases, is habits based on practice. Not what we think about things or reason about things and not how we feel in the moment. It's based on habit. And this way of looking at it comes not just from my decades of in my fumbling way trying to work toward a better society. It also comes from other practices in my life. So I would say my hope for a better world comes from continual practice and the habit of doing what I can to work toward a better world. That's where it comes from and that's what sustains me and that's what keeps me going. Will it make a big difference? would it make any difference? I don't know, honestly. And it looks uh, likely that this won't make much difference at all. On the other hand, it might. My experience of meditation and my knowledge of some Buddhist principles that have uh, panned out for me, have seemed real in my practice, underlie some of what I'm saying here. Meditation, I'm not trying to get all spiritual on you, I'm just talking about in a practical sense how human beings work. Meditation is a practice that you develop through doing just like working for political change is a practice that you develop by doing it. In meditation first you establish the practice in the habit of sitting down and (laughs) just paying attention and you put your thoughts and your feelings about it secondary. As the habit becomes established, then you learn ways to manage your thoughts and feelings in order to continue to support the the practice rather than impede the practice. With working toward a better world, what that means is in one respect, you question your own thoughts. And this is part of meditation as well. A Basic Buddhist, Buddhist principle is that you follow a path and you establish certain practices, and then you look at your thoughts and determine which are helpful and which are unhelpful, or as they say, skillful or unskillful. So I look at my thoughts and I say, is it helpful for me to think about how bad things could be? Not necessarily. Is it helpful to doubt if my own ways of thinking about this are true? Yes, it's very helpful. So what I do with my thoughts is I say, well, it looks reasonable. It looks even likely that things could get pretty bad. They've been bad and they're getting worse. But I say, I don't know everything. I don't know what everybody else is doing in the world. I know there are people who are doing things to try to make a better world. I know unexpected things can happen in life. I know throughout history, people have tried to predict the future and failed. So I know I don't know everything. So when my thoughts go to one direction or another whether they're optimistic or pessimistic thoughts doesn't matter because my thoughts are not a guide to practice right so i will focus on the thoughts or welcome the thoughts that are helpful in my practice of working toward a better world and i will dismiss the thoughts that aren't helpful i not necessarily i'll get rid of them i'm just saying even in spite of the fact that this is, looks reasonable to me that The world will keep going in a bad direction and my efforts will make no difference. That could not be true as well. I could be wrong about that. I've been wrong about a lot of things. Why not that? And if my emotions are not supporting my practice of working toward a better world, if I feel depressed, if I feel a sense of just wanting to be free of any responsibility for any of this, I do things that make myself feel better. And uh, I saw an interesting meme on Facebook recently in which it listed how neurotransmitters that make you feel better can be boosted by particular types of practices, particular um, ways of doing things. For example, eating when you're hungry, uh, completing something that uh, a task you've started those give you a dopamine boost. Uh, listening to music or exercising can help you with endorphins, socializing with people, having physical touch, petting animals give you a boost of oxytocin, and getting some sun, being out in nature, as well as meditating can help you boost your serotonin. And these things I've learned, I I had, part of my career, I studied psychology and became a mental health counselor. I know those things are true, that if you have practices established of taking care of yourself, you can always find ways to counteract bad moods. That doesn't mean they won't come, doesn't mean they won't be difficult to deal with, but it means there are ways you can deal with them when you notice them and don't make the emotion your reality, that I feel discouraged, therefore nothing is worth doing. Doesn't matter if it's worth doing or not, the practice is do it. So for me, hope is based on the habit of working toward a better world because only if people are working toward that has it any possibility whatsoever of taking place. As Robert Kennedy was saying in that opening quote, if anytime somebody stands up to do the right thing or to right an in injustice, or to try to build a better world. I'm not quoting him exactly here. That gives a little ripple of hope to other people as well. So we need community, we need mutual support, and this is why I share these videos because I think maybe something I say can give some support to other people and the comments you give to me can give some encouragement and support back. Right? So that hope is a practice that we can establish and we can establish a community around that that makes it even more likely that our efforts will make some difference. We don't know that it will, but it's a way of life and we can support each other in that way of life because if for no other reason, it makes life more worth living, right? So that's what hope is to me. Now in my last episode, I gave you a few examples from my life of why I have a libertarian socialist perspective that I saw and practiced that people are capable of organizing and doing things without needing an overarching authority and the reasons I have suspicions of government power. Today, what I wanna go into a little bit is some of the experiences I've had with communities that help encourage me toward acting for a better world. Signs or glimpses. That I've seen of a better world coming to birth. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday The performer was RP Alto and I think you know the song and the composer. I want to talk now about experiences in my life that help give me hope for a better world. It's a pretty strange capacity that we have to envision a different world and actually think that our efforts can help bring us there. And there's a lot of theories as to why we have this going back to, you know, the idea that in prehistory we were all equal and et cetera, et cetera. But I know this is something that's pretty ancient, the idea that we can, as human beings, create a world much better than the one we generally experience. And the one we generally experience and you know from history is one of violence and oppression and greed and poverty and suffering. I mean that's not all it is, but those things are there and to imagine a world without those things is uh, without having directly experienced them is kind of strange. In my own life, I know this picture of how people and communities could be different came from hearing the gospels preached in church each week. I grew up in a Catholic family. We went to church every week and from the pulpit, the priest would read stories from the Bible about Jesus and the things he did and things he said, that was a very appealing picture to me. If you could apply any modern political label to Jesus as depicted in the Gospels, you'd have to call him an anarchist socialist, as here's a guy who did not give deference to authority, who preached that all human beings were equal in God's sight, and who founded a community that supposedly held all their possessions in common and distributed them on the basis of need. Uh, If that is an anarchist socialism, I don't know what it is. Uh, So that appealed to me, but as I got older, of course, you start to question those stories, and especially in the world I lived in, the people who were supposedly the churchgoers, you know, my family included. I didn't see a lot of that uh, stuff Jesus was talking about. Instead of love your enemies, there was talk about, you know, we were bombing the communists because they were bad people. Uh, instead of equality of all human beings, there was a current within the community uh, that was pretty familiar that people with darker skin were inferior to people with lighter skin. Uh, there was you know, people were interested in gaining possessions, not in sharing equally, and so on and so forth. So the stories in the Bible began to seem unreal to me uh, growing up, and you start to doubt. But then I was of the age that uh, the counterculture was in full swing when I was a teenager. And what I experienced in that, now I was a little bit behind the peak of this because I was a teenager in the uh, mid-1960s to late-1960s. I graduated in nineteen seventy, so I missed the peak of this, but you knew it was a, a philosophy of peace, nonviolence, sharing, and I experienced some of that. My friends and I, we knew that other people who had similar views that were into culture cultural ideas and let our hair grow longer and dressed a certain way and all that. Uh we knew that people would share. Of course they shared drugs, but also people would share a place for you to crash for the night or a meal with you if they had some food in the house or clothes sometimes um, easy to borrow money borrow a car all those kind of things so it was more of a sharing kind of a culture but where I really experienced this for myself experienced that human beings could be different than you think they are and that they generally seem to be embedded in our capitalist culture as we are was when a couple of friends and I took a hitchhiking trip from Detroit, Michigan to California. We went to Los Angeles and then up the coast to San Francisco and then back again. And what we experienced along the way was such generosity from people. And they were, there were not all countercultural type people, not all hippies. A lot of them just seemed like straight middle-aged people who were somehow inspired by these teenagers who wanted the freedom of the road. So it brought out something in them. People not only gave us rides, but there were times people invited me to sleep in their home. We were total strangers, uh, shared food with us, uh, and so on. So this experience of generosity was so different than how people ordinarily behaved that it really made a mark on me. And I thought, you know, this, this whole countercultural thing of peace and equality and sharing and all the rest, people are capable of that. It impressed upon me in that way. Now, people are capable of that, but what about the institutions that force us to act in a different way, that force us to defer to authority, to um, uh, look out for ourselves, to try to accumulate possessions and hold on to it so that other people don't take it from you? What about institutions? Well, the counterculture was on the wane, there were a lot of problems in it and you see people's dark side coming out, um, mostly drug addiction and rip-offs, people stealing from each other, that kind of stuff. But some folks who wanted to keep this kind of culture alive realized the necessity for building new types of institutions. And they went off and did various things, some of them as I did a few years into my 20s uh, went into a quest for you know inner exploration and meditation and that. But a lot of them founded communities, some based on religious principles, some not. And I saw in action a commune and uh, studied and read about communes and founded a housing cooperative for students myself uh, when I returned to college. <laughs> this is about 10 years uh, after I originally quit college, so I had a lot of time to see how people, how the world worked. But I could see these institutions where people were actually trying to live out the practices that they believed in. And sharing with each other, having things in common, uh, helping each other, and uh, sharing love with each other. Uh, not just sexual love, but just, you know, multiple people having this kind of intimate conversations and living conditions and the rest. So I could see that institutions for how we lived or how we worked together uh, were possible as well. New institutions, different institutions, that gave me hope. First of all, I had hope that people could be different. Then I had hope that institutions could be different. But a lot of those institutions failed, but although some of them still exist today and have gone on mostly with some kind of religious focus or an authoritarian structure, or at least a hierarchical structure. So they had a compromise with the values of the world, as I would call it. And I began to realize that intentional communities were not uh, enough. The environment, the larger environment they existed within put pressures on them, especially pressures to have money in order to uh, be able to meet all their needs successfully. And I began to look at, well, the larger society, how do we change that? Is it possible to change the larger society into a different direction? And of course, I haven't seen that happen, although I've seen small changes, of course, over the course of my life. But the thing that inspired me to have hope that it was possible to have a different um, political situation, a different kind of society, came from a man that I met when I was... Oh, this would be the early 1980s, mid-1980s. And I was back in school and starting to have this realization that you couldn't just have independent institutions with different values existing within a capitalist culture, materialistic culture. You needed to somehow change the larger society. And this was a man about a generation older than me. His name was John McCartney. He's no longer with us. He was a pacifist and a socialist the first socialist I met that was a cheerful socialist because the ones that I was aware of before that were mostly uh, Marxists distributing the the uh, daily worker um, and, and coming on like a cult people with glassy eyes and insisting that you had to accept their way. But th- he was a socialist and he seemed like a, a reasonable, normal person as I'm sure a lot of socialists are. I'm hope- hopeful because I am too. Uh, so the um, John McCartney, I saw him give a talk at a public event where people were invited to come up and speak about things they wanted to see change. And he talked about replacing the military with nonviolent defense strategy. This was a totally new concept to me. Of course, I was aware of nonviolence and Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all that. But he was taking it a step further to apply these principles not to movements for change, but to envision a society in which violence was no longer necessary. He based this on research. A guy named Gene Sharp wrote a number of books. I still have some of them on my shelf, where he cataloged the different forms of uh, nonviolent resistance, and uh, like strikes and demonstrations and all that, and formulated the idea that, We could replace military defense with training people for non-violent defense. That is, if an enemy tried to occupy our country, we would already be trained in the means of resistance, not violent resistance, but simply refusing to cooperate with them, refusing to go to work, refusing to obey their orders, refusing to, to accept them as any kind of authority. And I thought, wow, this is very different. I was very concerned at the time, like a lot of people with leftish instincts were, with the uh, the Reagan's administration's boosting of our nuclear weapons. You know, a new generation of nuclear weapons. They were. I went to demonstrations and wrote my congressman about that kind of stuff. But this idea that you could have a world in which we didn't even need weapons was kind of mind blowing. And here was a guy who was working toward that cheerfully, seemed reasonable. He was a sociology professor, he he was a stable person. He wasn't, uh, you know, a wild-eyed visionary. He took practical steps to try to realize it. created a foundation, did educational things. And even though he wasn't getting very far because of course this is a hard idea to push in our world, the military industrial complex is not only well established but has occupied people's minds with the idea that we have to have these kind of horrible weapons of destruction for our, to defend our freedom, I guess. I'm not sure how that works, but that's what people generally believe. Um, I was inspired by him. He, He was kind of a mentor to me, even though he seemed like his ideas were beyond the fringe. The fact that he was willing to get up and push for things that he thought were possible was important. Gave me an idea of a different political world that could be. So in those three stories, what I wanted to convey is that it was experiences of how people could be different, of how institutions could be different, and then how we could work towards a world that we could envision as very different than the one we are in is possible. We could work toward it. We didn't know if we could get there, but there are signs of a new world being born if you look for them. And that also helps buttress my hope. So it enabled me to start a practice of continual Um, working for a better world, and has inspired me to follow in the footsteps of John and do what I can to uh, envision something very different and try to move toward it. That bit of music was from Praveen Francis, Song of Hope, and a great uplifting sound and video that is. You can look it up on YouTube, Praveen Francis, Song of Hope. Summing up for today, my own hope for a better world is not based so much on my reasoning that this is possible or my feelings of you know, positivity or pessimism, it's based on the Practice of working for a better world that over time has become part of my life, a habit, and uh, something that gives my life structure, purpose, and meaning. The direction of my efforts in working toward a better world are based on values that we all seem to share in some level, at least many of us do, because I've seen in that hitchhiking trip how people seem to want to be free of the normal social constraints and act in a more egalitarian, generous, Uh, fashion showing solidarity to strangers. I've also seen how people can work together to create institutions that flesh out these values and put them into practice in areas such as living together or working together even more importantly. And I've seen how we can learn lessons from these experiments both their successes and their failures as Gene Sharp did when he studied how Nonviolent social movements and resistance to oppressors, oppressors uh, can be studied from around the world to give us lessons of how to institute these things, and how John McCartney <clears throat> then translated this research into political action. So, all these things give direction to my efforts to build a better world. If you've gotten anything out of this video, once again, I'm going to request that if you're on YouTube, you hit that little like thumbs up icon. Uh, If you subscribe and hit the notification bell you'll be notified of my future videos. And if you're listening on podcast there should be a way to give me a rating. Uh, Give the podcast a rating or like or share it. Share it with other people and I do enjoy hearing from you. So please do leave comments on the Eln on Politics YouTube channel or Facebook page and uh, um, I'll be happy to read them get back to you if possible. Uh, That's it for today. Next week we have a special guest, I hope, lined up and um, that's it. Let's work together and keep going forward. Thanks a lot for listening.